It's good to see you. It just feels like it's been a long time since I've been in the room. So my name's Lynn, and uh, I come to church here once in a while. And it's, no, it's good to be here tonight. And uh, I, I think you guys know, Lisa and I went uh, had our uh, 30th anniversary, went on an amazing, yeah, amazing trip. <clears throat> I brought pictures to show you tonight. No, I'm teasing, but... Uh, yeah, it was a great time, and uh, just had a blast. And cool thing is, we've been married 30 years, and we still like each other. So that's that's kind of good. Yeah. All right. I I think I heard that we are in Ephesians chapter five. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. All right. So you may have to catch me up just a little bit. We've got the microphones here. If you've got questions, if we get too far off track, or if nobody cares, we may ask you to come up afterwards and talk about it. Um, but feel free to ask your questions. It helps us all kind of stay sometimes on topic as we're doing it. Let's pray real quick, and then uh, we'll dive in to Ephesians chapter 5. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just uh, we come before you tonight and just ask that you would guide and direct and lead us as we uh, dig into the Word. Help us to understand it in a way that's new and fresh and just comes alive in our lives. Help us to stay true to what it says. Help us not to interject personality or person, but instead to seek after your face and what you intended to say to our hearts. God, we give you the night. We're here to meet with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. I think you guys started uh, the chapter, but uh, just to catch us up, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 1, says, Be imitators of God... Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And the reason it's important for you and I to go back and hit verse 1 just for a second is that this becomes the thesis of what he's going to talk about in chapter 5. He's going to begin to start challenging you and me to say, what does it look like to imitate, to be this living reflection of Jesus Christ uh, in the world. What does it mean to be a little Jesus amongst my friends, in my neighborhood, in my community? Matter of fact, it's kind of interesting because they actually the term Christian started off as um, actually a way of putting down uh, followers. It, it was, oh, you're, you're, just a, you're just a little Jesus. You're just one of those Christians. Matter of fact, the early church, anybody know what the early church originally started off calling themselves? Huh? Yeah, followers of the way. They took that from Jesus' statement where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And early Christians referred themselves as followers of the way, referring to Jesus as the way. It was non-Christians who first started calling us Christians. And when it was first said, many believers went, hey, look, don't, I mean, don't call me that. I mean, that's, that's kind of insulting. I mean, you know, you're putting me down. And then we began to reconsider and said, wow, if, if you're really saying that I'm like a little Jesus, that, that may be a compliment. Because that really is what I'm called to do. I'm called to be an imitator of Christ and to look like him. So it's okay, call me a little Jesus, call me a Christian. And we later on adopted it and began to refer to ourselves and say, no, no, I am, I am a Christian. I'm a person committed to looking as much like Christ as I possibly can in this world. Paul is pushing you and me and saying, be these imitators of Christ. 
3. Uh, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Okay, so how much, how much sexual immorality, how, how much greed is okay for a follower of Christ? How much? Zero. Not even a hint. Not even an after fragrance. Not even, not, not even a little bit of residue of this belongs in your life. If you're going to be a Christ follower and if you're going to imitate him, if you're going to look like him, then, then this, this stuff has no place in your life, Paul says. But, but, all right, so let's go back and define those terms for a second. Uh, what is sexual immorality? What qualifies as sexual immorality? Come on, there can't be a hint of it in our lives. We better know what it is, or we may be stinking the place up a little. Premarital sex? Huh? Does premarital sex count? Okay, premarital sex. You know, that's interesting because we live in a culture right now that says, if you don't sleep with your boyfriend, uh, your girlfriend, uh, before you get married, I mean, you don't know what you're getting into, right? I mean, what if they're no good? I mean, that would be be crazy, our culture says. Jesus, the Scripture says, no, 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 no. There, There shouldn't even be a hint of that in the life of a follower of Christ. So you, you and I are going to end up having to make decisions about do we follow the culture or do we follow what Christ is calling us to? Because there's not a middle ground. There's not a, hey, you know, we'll just go this far or we'll only do this much. He says, look, there doesn't need to be a hint of sexual immorality in your life. Okay? Uh, we, I think we said adultery, right? What else qualifies as sexual immorality? Huh? Lust. Okay, we'll do the microphone. Let's do that because I can't hear. Lust. Lust. Okay. Pornography. Okay. What else? Hey, what, 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 about, what about pornography that we use to spice up our marriage? I mean, we're just, we're just going to watch that because it kind of gives us great ideas and it kind of, it you know, excites us to do it. But we're married and we're watching pornography together. Sexual immorality? Yeah. Why? Why is it the same? It's, it's somebody else. You're co- huh? You're coveting somebody else. I'm copying somebody else. Co- coveting. What, what did Jesus say? If I look on a woman with lust, then I've committed adultery in my heart already. Because here's the answer, guys. I'm just going to say this out loud. I have no right... To consume her physically or visually. She's not my wife. It's sexual immorality. Ladies, you have no right to consume him physically or mentally if he's not your husband. Now, if he's your husband, consume away. But if he's not your husband, you're some of you going, oh, no thanks. But I, no, it. Because he or she does not belong to you. Who do they belong to? Who do they belong to? 
even if they're not a Christian? Yeah. He made them. And they and, and no one has the right to give away that which God created without his permission. And his permission comes only in the context of what when it comes to sexuality? Marriage. Marriage. And the reason I'm spending some time on this, guys, is because you and I live in a culture that tells us this is insane that we're completely wrong and we don't get it and we don't understand it. And the answer that you and I have got to come back to is say, no, 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 you're insane. You don't understand the damage that is caused when you and I take this incredibly precious gift and we mutilate it, we trample on it, we make it something dark and lesser and ugly. And you and I don't have the right to do that because... Our bodies don't even belong to ourselves. We don't have the right to decide to give that away outside of the context in which God gives permission. And we surely don't have the right to consume others. I don't care if they got paid for it. I don't care if they gave permission. It doesn't matter because they didn't have the right to give it away. Ladies, I'm just going to say to you, You're crazy if you tell your husband it's okay for him to look at porn. You're crazy if you believe the lie that everybody does it. It's sexual immorality. And there must not be even a hint of this among God's people. Okay? So there's one of them, sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity. What? So... Apparently, this is, this is something that's not sexual immorality, but it is sinful activity. It's, it's something that's impure. So what would be some things that would qualify as impure things within our lives that are outside maybe the bounds of sexual immorality? What would, what would make this list for us? Huh? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip greed because greed actually gets named next. Okay, so what else? Drunkenness. Drunkenness. What else? Come on, you got to have a better list of sin than that. Lying. Fighting. No, lying. Oh, lying. But fighting's good too. (laughs) Stealing. Okay, he's just saying, look, look. If, if, if you and I are going to follow Christ, then all that stuff you and I used to do, that can't be part of what we still do. It can't. It, you, you're going you're gonna to have to make a choice. And, and, and part of what he's trying to communicate to us is, guys, there isn't a half choice in this. You, you, you and I can't live one foot still in the way that we used to be before we knew Jesus and one foot in the new life this, this doesn't work. That's why he's saying, if you're going to truly be an imitator of Christ, a follower of Christ, you're going to have to decide which side to butter your bread on, what side of this issue to live on. There cannot be even a hint of this stuff in my life. This is, this is stuff. Matter of fact, Scripture is going to say, put off the old self, start putting on the new self, which looks like Jesus in your life. 
And you and I are going to have to make a commitment to where we're going to live. And then the last word that he uses is this, is, he uses the phrase, he says, or greed, because uh, these are improper uh, for God's people. These just don't belong in our lives anymore. Verse 4, uh, nor should there be obscenity. What's obscenity? What is obscenity? Cussing. Uh, coarse language uh, coming out of our mouths. And, and the guys, again, and he got me on my soapbox a little bit. I, I, I'm not going to sit here today and define for you what words you should or shouldn't say. I, I'm just going to say that I think as a follower of Christ, you and I should be careful about what are acceptable terms and things that you and I use in conversation. That, that, there, that there shouldn't be a doubt about the words and the phrases that we choose to use when we use them. And, and I believe that within Christian culture today, we've, we've tried so hard to look like and feel like and sound like people who don't know God so we can be cool. I'm just not sure we're going to use any of those words in heaven. I'm just not sure if Jesus was sitting next to us, we'd talk to him that way. And if we're going to represent him, I think we better talk like him. Did I see a question? Yeah. My wife and I, we've kind of been talking about like euphemisms like freaking or dang it. And hmm. we've come to this conclusion that it's kind of like mentally you're still projecting the same word. Would you agree with that statement? Or You know what? I, here's, here's what I'm going to say to that. Um, I, I think you've got to make a decision about those, you know, surely some of those words uh, we are using as substitutes. And the problem is, you know, gall darn. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, because we all know probably where that started, right? And that's why I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is the line and this is the last word you can use. I think every one of us in this room, when we start coming to euphemisms, the things we use in between, um, you've got to be able to do this with a clear conscience. I, I think you've got to be able to do this. Here's my line, okay? Here's my personal line. It doesn't have to be your personal line. I don't want people... I don't want people to stumble over my word. And if I say a word that is so close to the, what the real word is, whatever that is that it, within the minds of the people around me, they are clearly substituting the other words in, then I try to stay away from that word. I try not to do it, you know. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, I think you and I have got to be careful. And here's, here's the thing, guys. If you're going to make a mistake, why not make a mistake on the side of purity instead of a mistake on the side of darkness, right? So why not be a little more conservative, a little more careful in your speech than taking liberty that might cause somebody else to stumble or somebody else to ache over it or not see Jesus in you because of it? So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to draw the line. My t- I'm going to tell you, I think you and I are compelled to at least examine ourselves and come to what we can do with clean hands and a pure heart before God. And, and if you can go golly gee and feel good about it, then go golly gee and feel good about it, okay? Um, I'm just going to tell you, I think some of the words that we use that are dark gray, we shouldn't be using. We, we, we should get away from them. And, and let's just be honest, using coarse language as a substitute for not using our brains to use legitimate words, 
for what we're really trying to express. Have you ever gone to a movie and every, sing, every like second sentence is F this and F that? And I go, you know what, that's just the writers being lazy. <laughs> they, they didn't want to write good script. They just got lazy and put F everywhere. They didn't know how to express themselves. I, I, I'm not willing to pay for that. I don't know about you. But. Okay, so back into context. Here we go. Oh, question. Yep. Uh, Pastor Lynn, how about also when people refer to p- other persons like idiot, stupid, or, you know, yeah. a word that's not what God would want his creation to be called regardless yeah. of their behavior? <laughs> um, your and my heart is to always be to build up and to edify. Okay? That, that is our heart. So, you know, I'm not going to... Yeah. So, all that to say, there may be a time when it's appropriate to say, hey, uh, that guy was acting like an idiot. You know? Uh, that's just accurate description in that moment. Um, and, and, and we've all seen people behave that way. So, I don't know that the word itself is necessarily a wrong word. But boy, there sure can be context in which I'm doing that to inflict harm and wound on someone. And the truth is, any words I use in that moment, any words I would choose with the purpose of inflicting harm and pain on somebody else, that's not Christ-like. I am called not to use my mouth as an instrument of pain and harm for people. Back to the passage. There should not be uh, obscenity, uh, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, off-color jokes, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this can be, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, and then it goes on to describe, because such a man, a greedy person, is an idolater, why, why would it call a greedy person an idolater? Because they're idolizing their money. Because they're idolizing the money or they're idolizing... What? Stuff. The thing. And if I, if I am... What does it mean to idolize it? I worship it. it it's what I live for. So let me ask you a question because I, I don't... How, how many of you like nice houses? Come on. We all like nice houses. How many like nice cars? I like nice cars. I do. How, how many like nice clothes? So what's the difference between saying, hey, like, let's just be honest. I mean, I like nice cars. I like, I like nice clothes. I, why? When does that become idolatry? Okay. When does that line get crossed? When it consumes you. But what is that? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't feel consumed. I feel blessed. Yeah. God, God loves me most, I, I think, know, because my pile is bigger than yours. So. I think when everything you do is focused so much on that, then there's nothing focused on the kingdom. And I mean, I think that if you are, I, I don't want to say be a good person, but if you're, if you're doing a lot of things for the kingdom... Mm-hmm. And you still have leftovers to enjoy some 
things yourself. I could I? Let me, so let me ask. I love your answer, but could I? Could I be doing a lot of things for the kingdom and still be worshiping stuff? Sure. Isn't that interesting? Because you know what you want. I think the answer is. I think the answer is most Christians do a lot of things for the kingdom and still worship their stuff, which would be idolatry. So when is it idolatry? What, how do, what's that line? When you put it before God. When what, you, what does that mean that I put it before God? Well, like for us and our finances, the first thing we do when we get paid is we write our check to the church and our charities mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then, mm-hmm. then we pay the rest so that. We... Right, and, and why do you write your check to, to God first? So that mentally in our mind that money is gone and and we have shown God that we give him the first of what we get as opposed to okay. the leftovers. So I love that you do that. And I think I think part of the discipline of you and me tithing before we write any other check. And I'm, guys, I'm going to tell you, and I don't think this is a legalism thing. I think this is a heart thing. My my first thing on my list is, is what I give to the Lord. What he's laid on my I do that. I do that so that I am making a statement every single time. God, you are the first obligation of my life but i would rather i would rather have visa mad at me than god mad at me visa is not my lord my lord is my lord and i will pay you first before anything else so i think it's a great discipline but let me ask you this question could a person be a tither and still be greedy see so it's a great discipline and don't get me wrong it's i think it's a great tool to help me along the way but i think you could tithe and still be greedy and be an idolater over the 90% that was left. We always, as Christians, have to remember that it's God's money. It's not okay. our money. Okay. And so if we're not using our money for God's will in giving the 10% and okay, but you know what? where I, there's a need. I went to In-N-Out Burger last night. I don't know if that was for God's will. I don't know. I don't know. And I, I got to be honest, but I didn't even pray before I heart? went. Huh? Where is your heart with your money? Huh? I, I can't hear, so I, I think I'm still jet lagged. Okay. Oh, did you? You were giving me a hard time, weren't you? Okay. Yeah, it was it was double beef. I don't remember, but it was. Hey, um, you yeah. Can, you know, you could just pass on this question, and we can ask Dave Ramsey in, in March. Oh, there you go. When Dave is here, we'll ask him. Okay, yeah, what is the just, sign of you know just, greed? You know, yeah, and just pass us there you go. That would that would he would probably have the answer for us too. I think. Hey, Lynn, I was thinking. To me, that which I rely upon and that which I depend upon, hmm. and boy, if that's money before God. Hmm. Hmm. When my world falls apart, am I more likely to check my bank account or check my prayer life? That would tell you who your God was, wouldn't it? Is my first instinct to find out do I have enough to pay for it? Is my first instinct to pray about it? Let, let me let me toss one. I, you, you guys can. Here's here's what works for me. Okay, and it may or may not work for you. If I ask myself, if God took it away, if God required it of me, how angry would I be with God? 
Because if at the end of the day I really believe it is all His and I am only stewarding it. See, I'm just going to tell you, if, if I understand Scripture right, you and I don't own anything. You and I simply have been given the privilege of taking care of it on God's behalf for a limited period of time. And if I deeply and truly believe that, because guys, at the end of the day, you don't own your life. You have only been given the privilege of stewarding it for a short period of time on His behalf. There is nothing you touch. There is nothing you own. We are His possession. So here's my question. You'll know if you've got ownership messed up. You'll know if you're depending on something too much. You'll know if you're worshiping. If God required it, if God took it away, how angry would I be with God? I'm not saying, would I enjoy it? I'm not saying, would it be fun? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, would I jump up and go, woohoo, I'm riding the bus. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, if he required it, if he took it away, how angry would I be with him for asking for it? Because if deeply and truly within my heart I believe he owns it, then I shouldn't have any problem if he tells me I can no longer borrow it. See, if, if I borrow my neighbor's lawnmower, but in my heart I know that it's still his lawnmower, even though it's been in my garage for six months, when he comes and asks for it back, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed that I had it so long, right? Well, sure, you can have your lawnmower. But if I start thinking, hey, I hope you forgot that it's his. <laughs> I hope you forgot that I have it. I think it's mine. Well, then I'm disgusted when he comes to the door and asks for it back, right? How deeply twisted, how sideways are you if God asks for it back? Which got here? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna toss. Okay, would that include your job? Would that include your children? Hmm. Hmm. Verse four again. For there is there should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure: no immoral person or greedy person such as a man is an adulterer, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. If I'm greedy, is it saying I'm not a Christian? It just said no greedy person has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. No immoral person, no impure person has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. What's that talking about? I mean, I guess here, here I'm going to tell you, I, I've been greedy a couple times, and I, I've been immoral in my life. What does that mean when it says, this type of person does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God? What do you think? Help me out. You'll get in, but you'll be living in a cardboard box and sweeping streets ah. instead of... So you're, you're emphasizing the inheritance part. You're saying, you may get in, but you ain't getting... You know, you're, you're living in the box in the back in heaven. You missed out your inheritance. Okay. All right. You need to put on the new. So you have to ask for forgiveness. If people don't ask for forgiveness mm -hmm. of these sins, just like any other sins, then, yeah, you may not. Okay. Mm -hmm. What do we think? I think you need to confess, repent, and turn from it Okay. to get in. You keep doing it and keep breaking his laws and breaking his heart. I think 
That's when that. And all right. So and, and as you go that direction, you say, I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to do it. What, what do you and I do with a Christian who doesn't? What do you and I do with an individual who says, hey, I am a Christ follower, but I am greedy as all get out, man. I, I'm going to continue to live in sexual sin. I don't care. I don't care. I, that, that's just who I am. That's how I'm wired. I'm going to keep doing it. I would ask them to reevaluate whether or not they're a Christian because we just talked last week about if you feel guilty about it, then obviously you have the Holy Spirit and you are a Christian. He, Greg... If you have no remorse, then. Hmm. So what do we think? How many in here, we're going to take a vote. How many in here say, I think what it's talking about is you lose your blessing in heaven. You lose your inheritance in heaven. You get to live in a box. How many people think we're going that way? How many people in here say, I think it's talking about a lifestyle and it's saying you cannot live this way consistently as a Christian in your life. It's just not, it's, the two don't gel. Okay. All right. So here's the answer. Christians have debated this a lot of years, and they came up with the two answers that you just came up with. I don't, I, I'm not going to necessarily tell you you can't interpret one of the two ways. I think it's talking about lifestyle. I think it's saying, if you're a Christian and you claim to be a Christ follower, because remember, 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 what's the context of the passage? The context of the passage is we've got to begin to live like Jesus. And I believe the passage is a lifestyle passage. And I believe what it's saying in this is saying, look, if you claim to be a Christ follower, you claim that you're living this Christ-like life, you cannot live this other life. You can't stay in that place and really be a Christ follower. And coming back to this idea of conviction, and, 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 and here's the other one, guys, discipline. Discipline. If you truly are a child of Jesus and you choose to live a life of disobedience, to Jesus, then then guess what's going to eventually happen? Big and spanking. Somewhere it's coming. See, I, we have a lot of Christians go, oh man, I, I've been doing this sin for six months. I'm, I'm doing fine. You are crazy. You're crazy. You think you think that because you've been doing it for six months and nothing's happened, that you're, God is just going to the closet to find his big paddle. That's all that's happening in that pause in your life. He's just waiting to find the right thing to just spank the holy tar out of you. How many in here would go, amen, I have been there? Okay. So I think what it's saying is you cannot, you cannot as a Christian, say, look, I'm just going to live in disregard and, and live in a life of sin because I've already got my fire insurance done. So I'm just going to live sloppy agape. I'm just going to be a horrible, horrible follower of Jesus. Because I'm going to heaven. And I think you and I have every right in that moment to look at someone who's living that way and say, you know what, I, I can't judge you. I, can't, I don't know whether your decision for Christ was legitimate. I'm just telling you that the Bible says those who really, really have given their hearts to Jesus can't do this, can't do what you're doing for forever. What, what do you... What, if somebody is not following Jesus, and, and if I'm following Jesus and I'm doing what I shouldn't do, what are the things you should expect to see happening in their lives? So in other words, I'm a Christian, but I'm living in known sin. What do you expect to see happen if they really are a Christian? What would be the signs? I asked that the wrong way, didn't I? Because everyone's going, what? All right. If some, let, let's, let's go... If somebody is really a Christian, 
But in the process that they are really a Christian, they decide, I'm going to live a sinful lifestyle. What would you expect to see start happening in their lives? Financial and relational breakdown. Okay, so that's probably, that's either one of two things. It's either consequence for sin or it's discipline. It's a spanking from God. Why would you expect to see a spanking? That's proof that he loves us. There you go. Hebrews chapter 12 says, look, look, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Don't despise the spanking of the Lord because everyone he counts as sons, he spanks. So if you really are a child of God, then it is an absolutely legitimate expectation that if you live in sin, that spankings are going to come. What else do you expect to see if that person really has a relationship with Jesus Christ when they're sinning? Um, God might take responsibility from them. Like if they're in a leadership position, they may. Okay, so he may, he may take responsibility or he may remove them from places of authority. Absolutely, because they're no longer qualified. You'd probably call that in some ways discipline maybe potentially in their lives. What else do you expect to see happen? Withdrawing, um, walking away from, not doing the things that you know are Christ-like. Okay, so they are withdrawing. They're walking away from things that are Christ-like. Why are they withdrawing? Why are they walking away? Shame, guilt. Okay. So the word I want to use is conviction. Because if you and I, and I think it sounded like we touched on that a little bit last week, if you have the Holy Spirit living in your life, you cannot live contrary to God's will and not expect to suffer and, and feel conviction within your life. Okay? Because if the Holy Spirit is there, what did Jesus say? I will send you a comforter and he will guide you and he will convict you okay so a sign that you really have become a christian is conviction sin feels worse to children of god than it does to people who don't know god see people who don't know god have little c conviction people who are christians and the spirit gets a hold of your little c conscience and all of a sudden conviction gets way bigger if you're a child of god that's the holy spirit active and alive in your lives Okay, so one of the evidences of being a child of God is spankings. One of the evidences of being a child of God is conviction. What else do people do when they're getting into sin, living a lifestyle they know they shouldn't live? What, what other symptom happens? Anyone know? There's a lot of insecurity and self-sabotage. Okay, there is. There's a lot of insecurity and self-sabotage. Okay, here, I'm going to toss the last one for you. Have you ever noticed that Christians, after they start living a lifestyle away from God consistently, they drop out of church. Isn't that interesting? Why do they do that? I mean, isn't church where they need to be? Why do they push away from the church? It's guilt. You're going to come in and you're going to probably get convicted. Because they think they can hide even from God. Okay. If they hide from us Hmm. or the church. Because they become uncomfortable around... Christ. They come become uncomfortable around Christ. They become uncomfortable around other believers. Matter of fact, one of the signs, here's an interesting thing. One of the Bible, the signs, the Bible says that you know that a person's really come to know Jesus Christ. They love their, what? They love their brother, which is the church, right? But they love other Christians. Isn't that an interesting thing? The very people we used to go, oh, they're one of them. All of a sudden I'm going, wow, that's my brother. That's my sister in Jesus. That's pretty cool. Yeah. One of the signs that someone has truly come to know Jesus is I suddenly have a different perspective 
a different relationship with other people who know my Lord. I'm going to tell you guys, and some of you have experienced this, it's possible to have deeper, more significant bonds with fellow followers of Jesus Christ than even your own family sometimes. Especially if your own family doesn't know the Lord. It's a love for fellow brothers and sisters. So let's turn that all around. What if we see a person who says, I'm a Christian, and you never see discipline? What if you have a person that says, I'm a Christian, and you never see conviction? What if you see a person who says, I'm a Christian, and they don't have a deep abiding love for other believers? Then you and I would have every right to say, hey, I I can't judge this. I mean, I can't say whether or not you made a legitimate decision. But I'm questioning. I'm wondering if you really, really ever truly gave your heart to Jesus Christ. I, uh, I had this conversation with my dad one time. Uh, I, was, I was 16 years old, and, and some of you guys know my story a little bit. My dad left our family. Well, my dad spent the next few years just, he literally just went off. He, he, did, he did every sin in the book, I think, after he left our family, with the exception of homosexuality. I don't think he got there. But anything else on the list, my, my dad went after it. Now, here's the thing, and I, I, I don't know if I always say this. The cool thing is, is that about... 12, 13 years ago, my dad came to Cornerstone and his whole life turned around and he's, he's a Christ follower today and serving God and he's very active in a church in Payson. It's a totally cool story and his, his wife knows the Lord now. It's just, it's an amazing story, but that wasn't what he was like when I was a kid. And so I'm 16 years old and I'm sitting in a car with my dad and I said, Dad, I, I don't know if you're a Christian. And he goes, well, why would you ask me that? And I said, Dad, because... Because you're living bad. I mean, you're, you're doing horrible stuff. And I haven't seen God spank you ever. And, and you don't seem to be convicted. And Dad, I'm, I'm not saying this to judge you. I'm saying this because I love you and I want to know for sure that you're going to heaven. So I'm just asking, Dad, are you sure that you know Jesus is your Savior? He said, yeah, Lynn, I do. I, I know I do. He says, I know I'm not living how I should, but... I do. And, and he probably did. I think he, he did know the Lord uh, at the time. Um, but you and I have every right to question someone who names the name of Jesus and doesn't have conviction, lives without discipline in their lives, and doesn't love fellow Christians in a deep abiding sense. What did, what did the scripture say? He who says he loves his, hates his brother but loves God is a liar. You can't love God and not love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? So, I think it's a lifestyle issue. I think it's saying you cannot live this way contrary to for God, never ending, if you truly, truly know God. You can foul up. You can live a season this way. You just can't live continuously this way if you really know Jesus in your life. God will change something. If you and I keep getting spanked, let's say a Christian keeps living that way and they keep getting spanked, and let's say they never, 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 never repent, what, do you, what does God do after that? Takes them home. It's Paul praying and saying, look, I, I think it's just time to pray to God and say, God, look, this Christian is just so embarrassing to the kingdom and they've lived so long in sin and they keep taking the name of Jesus in the gutter. God, I am praying that you take them home. Take Kill the body uh, that their spirit may be preserved. 
It's just time to go home. And I guarantee you, you've, you probably have seen Christians who got so far off track that God just said, yeah, I'm done. I'm done wrestling with you and I'm done with the argument. Just come on home. And I'm done. Okay? All right, back to the passage. Pastor Lynn? Yep. I had a question back to um, consequences and discipline from God. Okay. I have heard where HIV or AIDS was a punishment for the homosexual community when it originated. How do you feel about that? I, you know, I, here's, here's why you got me shrugging my shoulders is because, I mean, surely there is, it, there's a horrible disease there, but I know people who weren't homosexual who have the disease. And so to say this disease is a direct consequence and spanking for homosexual lifestyle, I am, I'm hesitant to say that because then what am I saying about that little child who was born um, with AIDS because of something their mother did or something their father did. I, so that's why I hesitate to link those two together on the deal. Now, here's the other side of the coin. Homosexual lifestyle is clearly outside of the will of God. It's, it's, it's something that's going to bring nothing but disappointment and discipline in my life and grieves the heart of God, just like adultery does, just like, but it is, you know, it is sin. I just don't know that I want to take and say this disease is the end-all spanking to that lifestyle. I think God chooses spankings that are appropriate to the individual and to the sin. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to... I, I just think you and I are being a... Yeah, I just don't think it's fair to say that that disease and that sin have to be together. Good question. Okay, so back to the passage. Uh, verse, okay, so verse 5, I want to say this out loud real quick. Verse 5 again says, For this you can be sure, that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an adulterer, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I think it's saying anyone who has this as a continuous lifestyle and is unrepentant of it, they probably don't know Jesus as their Savior. Verse 6, uh, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. Okay, so God says, look, if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to try and live in that type of lifestyle, you are inviting God's wrath. Now, here's my question. On the scale of 1 to 10, and if, you know, there's frustrated and perturbed and angry, where does wrath fit on the scale of 1 to 10? Huh? Okay, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking somewhere on the far end of the scale. Isn't, here, isn't this interesting? He's saying this really ticks God off. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about people who are Christians who ought to be living for Christ, who instead are still living for the world. And he says, if you want to really, really, really twist God and get him angry, name the name of Jesus and then live like you don't know him. Verse 7 do not, therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. What does it mean to be a partner? Okay, who are, first off, I should probably say, who are we not to be partners with based on this verse? Who are you and I not to be partners with? Christians who are not acting like Christians. 
Okay, so Christians who are not acting like Christians. See, here's, here's what you got to understand. He's not talking about heathens who are acting like heathens. He's talking about Christians who are acting like heathens. And he says, do not be partners with them. What does he mean, do not be partners? Huh? Okay, we need mics because I'm not hearing. I got wax in my ears tonight. Do not be partners with them. Do not be partners with people who in name the name of Jesus and act business? like they don't know. Huh? In marriage or in business? Okay. In marriage or business? Yes. To not follow their ways, their sin. Do not what? To not follow their sinless ways. Don't follow? Part- partakers, participants in any of their activities. Okay. Participant. Here, here's what I'm going to ask. I think you and I are left in an awkward situation. Because here's the deal. If I've got a brother or sister in Christ who's not living well for Jesus, I don't know that I necessarily want to totally ostracize them from my life. Because if I do that, who's going to be speaking to them? I mean, who's going to be looking for that great moment to talk and say, you know, hey, come on. You know, and you know better than this. And do you see, do you see the consequence? I mean, if, if you and I just ostracize a fellow Christian who's not living for God, then... How are, how are they ever going to be drawn back? Now, here's what you do need to know. The Bible does say there's places where people are living so crazy in sin that God just says, look, as long as that's how they're going to behave, then go ahead and let them, just let them. Just cut yourself loose from them. If they're just that far over the deep end, just let it go. But that's not the case probably in most situations that we're talking about. And you and I need to somehow stay in proximity so that you and I can be light in their world. You and I can be an influence to this Christian who's not living well. But the passage here says, but in the midst of doing that, don't you dare be a partner with them. When does it cross the line? When do I stop being an influence in their life? When do I stop being a contributing factor in maybe God speaking in their life? And when do I suddenly cross this line and become a partner with them? What do you think causes that line to be crossed? When you rely on them for advice, like you can be a friend hmm. with them, but they can't be your confidant. They can't okay. guide you. I think you're, so when I rely on them for advice, I think you're right. But that probably and maybe in some ways applies more to like being unequally yoked. In other words, it's a friendship in which I'm leaning on them for advice, which would also be very biblical. Don't be in that type of yoking relationship with them. How about um, like dishonest agreement with them or um, when you... It's like, okay, we agree to disagree and you just overlook it. Because, in a way, you're telling them that that's okay. I think you're right. I'm not sure that's exactly what this verse is talking about. But I think you're dead on right. All right, so let let me see if I can help us get there a little bit. Let's take it to the business model. I think it's going to apply to all sorts of other models. Let's take it to the business model. If you become a partner in business with somebody, and now you've got to decide whether or not to buy a company truck... What do partners do when a decision like that has to be made? They have to talk and agree. And then a decision is made out of that talking and agreeing that now they both have to live with because you either 
have a company that doesn't have a truck because together as partners you decided not to buy a truck and so now you can't go out and service as many customers. There's a, there's a consequence to the decision. Or you make a decision to buy a truck and now you've got a payment on the truck. And you better be making enough money to cover the payment on the truck. So now the decision of that partnership has changed your life. Does that make sense? I think the passage here is saying you are not to ever be in a relationship with somebody who is not following Jesus in which they have the opportunity to make decisions that affect you. You don't need to be, you don't, don't be in that type of relationship with them. Don't align yourself so specifically, so closely with them that they, as they are living in sin and, and recklessness in their lives, can make decisions that affect you. And you have to live with the consequences of their ungodly decision-making. Do not be partners with them, which I agree. I think it talks about marriage. I think it talks about business. I think it talks about any relationship in which you are so deeply connected with a person that their decisions change the trajectory of your life and the consequences of it. Do not partner with them. Okay? I'm going to suggest to you guys, I don't think you and I should be partners with people who don't know Jesus Christ either. I think that's going back to the don't be unequally yoked principle. Because how in the, what are you going to do when you get to a moment within your company or you get to a moment within your marriage? And now you've got to make a decision for your home. You've got to make a decision for your business about are we going to honor God in this? Are we going to dishonor God in this? Are we going to be honest about this? Are we going to lie about this? Are we going to cheat on the contract or are we not? And now you've got a person who doesn't know God and is never going to call, is never going to decide from the same place. It isn't... If you're doing what's right and they're committed to doing what's wrong, aren't? do not, do not, do not partner with people who are not following your Lord, who are not committed to living for Him. And I'm, I'm going to throw one last one out. Where are we on in time? We have, uh, looks like six minutes. Okay, so here's, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this and we'll close it. I'm going, to, I'm going to stretch this. You may not agree with me on this. You have every right to argue with me and say, Lynn, I think you're wrong. I think this principle of being yoked and or partnered with somebody goes not only to whether or not they are Christ followers, but also goes to maturity issues. I, I believe, now this is me from experience and this is me just believing that the Scripture applies this far, you are crazy, 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 crazy if you consider yourself a mature Christian to partner yourself with a baby Christian. Now, I'm, I'm not saying to mentor them. I'm not saying to disciple them. Absolutely. I'm saying partner with them. Because here's the deal. Okay, so let's go back to the, to the illustration. The whole idea of yoking is you, you put a set of oxen and, and now they're in a yoke together. Those are oxen. Okay, they're in a yoke together, and the idea is they are to pull the plow. But here's the problem, guys. You get a really, really strong ox. We'll make him the big one, or her the big That's the big one. And, and you put that one with a little ox, okay? Even if they both give 100%, you cannot pull that plow straight. Matter of fact, the only way you can pull that plow straight is if that one gives 100% and this one gives about 15%. 
and you consider yourself a mature, mature, mature Christian, and you want to pull a plow straight with a baby, baby, baby Christian in your life, then you're going to have to live for Jesus about 15% because they're not going to understand the other 85. Lynn? Yep. What do you do if you're already married to someone? Then you serve God absolutely wholeheartedly as best as you possibly can because Scripture says whatever circumstance I find myself in, that's the place I serve God from. What Scripture's saying, though, is don't put yourself there on purpose. You and I are going to constantly in our lives find ourselves in unfortunate circumstances. The answer when I find myself in a place that goes, boy, I would have never chosen this place, I would have never done this, or I did do that, and so now that's where I am. You know, it's the guy who maybe he steals and he gets thrown in jail and he goes, wow, that was a horrible decision in my life. Okay, so in jail, start a Bible study. Wherever you find yourself now, serve God from there. What I'm saying is don't get yourself thrown in jail. You know, don't, don't make that decision on purpose because then you have to live with the consequence of that decision until until you get released, until something unbelievable happens and that baby Christian does exponential growth and somehow catches up with you. Don't make that decision on purpose, is what Scripture is saying. Don't put yourself in that place. But if that's where you are and that's where God has called you to serve Him from, then serve God with your whole heart, with that husband who doesn't know the Lord or that husband who's a baby Christian. But the reality is... You're going to do a ton of growing because of having to serve from that place, having to live from that place. And, and God will do some amazing things in your life as you're faithful from there. Just, that's the hard way to do it. Don't choose it. Okay? Does that make sense? So here's the thing, guys, and I'm going to say this especially to the gals that we have in the room who, who are single and are making decisions. Here's, here's what... Here's what Gal after gal after gal after gal says, I'll, I'll beg him to come to church. I'll tell him I won't date him until he comes to church. And so then he'll come to church and he'll, he'll tell me, okay, I'm a Christian. And then, okay, so now he's a Christian and I can marry him. You know deep down, you know darn well he's a nominal follower of Jesus Christ. You know darn well he is way behind you. And now you're setting up your Christian home so that he's supposed to be the spiritual leader of your house and he's nowhere close to your understanding of Jesus. Tell me that that's not unhealthy from day one. Tell me that's not set up for chaos from day one. Don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. And I'm going to tell you, you're crazy if that's what you do. Because at the end of the day, gals, you want, if, if anything, if he's going to be the spiritual head of your home, you want him. If there's going to be an unbalance, you want him to be the big ox. You want him to be the further ahead follower of Jesus if he's going to be the leader of your home. And if he's not, I'm just going to say, don't marry him. Don't marry him. You say, well, Lynn, there's no good Christian men. Out there. You know why there's no good Christian men out there? Because all the women are marrying him when they're lousy Christians. If all of the Christian women just said, no, I won't marry you until you love Jesus, then the guys would get in shape. But you're all marrying us when we're losers. So we don't have to do it. Don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. Don't be unequally yoked. Okay? If that's where you find yourself, then serve God from there. But don't choose it. Don't put yourself in that position in your life. Questions? We're good. How many people are mad at me? Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus.
thank you again for your word tonight. Thanks for what Scripture says. And God, I just, I just ask that uh, if nothing else comes out of our conversation tonight together, that, that all of us would be moved to this idea of saying, look, I, I can't claim to be a follower of Christ and keep living the way I used to live. I've, I've got to make a, a life decision to be an imitator of Jesus, to be, to be someone who lives in a way that there's not even a hint of who I used to be because there's so much Jesus on me now. God, would you, would you move all of us in that direction? Would you take all of us closer to yourself? That, that our old selves would die and that the, the, new, the new self in Christ would come alive. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys. Thanks for being out at night.